All, right, all that being said, um, I don't know if you guys were aware of this or not, but I've really always wanted to be a TikTok star. <laughs> right? TikToks, I mean, I just love TikTok. I mean, I don't know if you knew that or not, but um, and when I say TikTok, I just, remember, I just really mean like TikTok or, or other social media apps, just any kind of social media app or I'm a really big fan of. And uh, <laughs> the reason is that it's just, a, it's just such an incredible opportunity to reach people, right? If I can build a following big enough and if I can get enough people to like me and to follow me, if, if I can get it through to enough people, like get enough influence out there to influence people for Christ, well, then the gospel can go everywhere. Not only that, but really I'll feel fulfilled in my ministry, because the more that I do, the better I am at being a Christian. The more the people know me, the more I do for Christ, the more Jesus is going to love me. And so, man, that's why I, no, <laughs> right? Uh, that, that, that probably couldn't be more of the opposite of how I feel about life and about everything else. But, you know, there, there are a lot of pastors out there that fall into that trap. There's a lot of false teachers who call themselves pastors that fall into that trap. But there's a lot of other pastors that fall into that trap. They think that this is the thing that's going to please God. This is the thing that's going to make my life feel whole. If I can get my ministry out this far, then, then I'll kind of have arrived. And maybe that, I don't think that's, go ahead and raise your hand if you want to be a TikTok star. Don't, don't raise your hand. I, Jack, put your hand down. <laughs> We're having a talk after the service. He's joking. He's Mr. Sarcasm, teenager. I kind of love it. But anyway, we've got to keep going. Um, I know most of you don't want to be TikTok stars, at least I hope not. But do you know that in a lot of our households, there are people that struggle with that or at, or at risk of struggling with that? Our kids. We've got a lot of young kids, so they're not yet there yet. Maybe like in, my, in, like in your house, like in my house, we restrict a lot of those things so that, that can't happen. But, but like there's something in our kids right now that the allure of being a star, the allure of having fans and followers, the, world, the allure of being like, the allure of, of having those things that they see, they can see on the internet or their friends show them on their internet or whatever else, man, that's actually a tough thing for our kids. That, that's the thing that they're longing for because that's what the world is telling them is important. Even if we homeschool our kids, they can't completely get away from it. We can't completely protect them from that. And by the way, I don't think we need to totally protect them from that um, because they're going to encounter it at times. So we've got to have conversations with other kids about it because TikTok and YouTube and their friends are trying to tell them who they're supposed to be, right? So maybe it isn't TikTok for you, but I think we all know there's so many things out there telling us how we're going to be happy especially in the American culture with all the advertisement, with everything that we're bombarded with every, every, all the time. There is so much telling us who we should be, telling, telling us the things that we should want and the things, the, these things that would make us happy. There's, there's, to, there's always these, these trips that if we could go on, like we see other people go on these trips, then that's the thing that would make us really satisfied. We have things telling us that, that hey, if you really cared about people in our environment, you would be a liberal. Why aren't you? But if you really cared about our country, which is actually caring about people, you'd be a conservative. And if you're on either side of that, well, then you're just a terrible person, right? We got you know, things screaming that at all time. We got things screaming at us like, hey, you should be really generous and you should really serve your community and volunteer. But at the same time, you should go out there and get yours because you deserve it. And so whatever you got to do, go out and get, get what yours. Where we have the, we have a culture trying, trying to tell us that we should be strong men or strong women while at the same time recognizing that there's no distinction between men and women. So what does it mean to be a strong woman or a strong man anymore? Man, you're, you're told to be a strong man, but without being masculine. You're, you're told that you should, be, you should lead and be decisive without telling anyone that what they should do. And that you should be gentle and silent while always being bold and always standing up for what's right. You got that? 
easy. Women, this is my opinion. Maybe this is wrong, but I think you have it even harder right now. That's an opinion. But everything in our society is seemingly trying to tell you that things are changing really, really great for women right now in our culture. And by the way, in some ways, it, it, really, it really is. And it's, but in some ways, it's completely void of any substance at all and any truth at all, and it's just a big, fat lie. But the reality is, from what I see and what I feel like our culture is telling and the conversations I have with some of you, is, is culture is still t- telling you that you're expected to have it all and you're expected to handle it all with grace. Like you're supposed to have a thriving career while at the same time having amazing hobbies, but not just a hobby, a hobby that actually makes money on the side. Because that, that's really how you're supposed to do that, right? Right, Mary? Like you've seen it, it's all over the place, right? That, that not only are you supposed to have children and raise them to be healthy individuals, but you've got to win the competition of education. You could have to go to the best place, you have to give them the best homeschooling or the best school, and you've got to win that competition of your kid being the best at what they do, or somehow you're not, you're not a successful enough mom, education's not a sport. Mention, not mentioning sport, you also have to be the perfect soccer mom or cheer mom or volleyball mom or whatever else takes up every single weekend. Like li- literally, like they're asking every single weekend, culture is asking every single weekend from your family and your kids now. And if you don't do that, then do you really love your kids? Because don't they love volleyball? Don't they love cheer? Don't they love fill in the blank? All while having no wrinkles, nailing it at the PTA or whatever else is related and maintaining a healthy marriage or life that you can brag about on social media. Because, oh yeah, you're also supposed to have a really great profile on social media that makes everybody jealous. That sounds easy. Do you like what you're being told? Maybe even worse, there are not only bad teachers out there, there are just absolutely false teachers out there telling you that you actually can and should have it all. That the American dream and Jesus can be yours at the same time. Others telling you that what you do is what makes you who you are, that church attendance or how much you give or or how well you're following all the rules and all the commands is the real answer to your salvation, to your peace, to your wholeness. Others that that, that maybe teach the Bible, maybe, but they really just pull out one verse and that the Bible is not really about the majesty and glory of God. It's a self-help book to tell you how to have a happy life, a great marriage, the best kids, and a life free of suffering and pain. I could keep going, but I won't. And the reality of a lot of those things is that in some of them, there's truth. Most of those things are layered with some truth. And so if you hear it from a really influential TikTok video, or you hear it from a really, really great speaker, it makes you think, huh, maybe that, that is true. Maybe that is what God wants. Maybe that is who I am. Maybe that is worth listening to. Well, if you haven't been with us lately, we've been walking through the letter of Philippians. And I say lately, this is week 30. So if you haven't been with us in the last 30 weeks, we're walking through the book of Philippians. A letter written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the books in the New Testaments. Virtually all those letters were written to a church or to an individual. And that's why we call them letters, because originally that's what they were. We call them books of the Bible, but they were letters. And today in chapter 3, we're going to make a transition right? A transition from Paul talking about how we can and should have unity with inside the church because we have the divine humility of Christ in us. His spirit lives within us. So we can walk in the ways of Christ. We can lay down our lives for other people. We can make others' interests more important than our own because that's exactly what Christ did for us. We're going to transition out of that to a very, very personal, you're going to see it from Paul, very personal warning from Paul about very real threats to the church, threats that are just as real today, they just look different. And the, the main 
thing he's going to warn them about is false teaching and everything that comes with that. And so this persecution, this persecution, this false teaching, because that's what's happening. Through this, this false teaching, there's persecution. This persecution is not only causing the church suffering, but from the context, we can see that it's causing them doubt. It's causing confusion in the church. And, and it's causing maybe even some to walk away from the church. So over the next few weeks, we're going to, to see just how personal this is to Paul. Because if you've been with us, you know this, because of how much he loves this family. He has the deepest kinds of affection. He started this church. He loves this church dearly. And it's a very personal matter for him. And so what we're also going to see as we go through this chapter 3 is that Paul is going to bring it back to what he always brings it back to. That our confidence is not found in our performance or anything that we have done or could do. Our hope and confidence is found in a person. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the passage. And we're just going to start in one, one verse. I mean, we got six verses to go through today, but we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3. We're just going to read one verse to start because this is the transition passage. Philippians 3 verse 1 says this, Finally, my brothers, or if you have the ESV, you can see a little seven there. Um, it's addressed to the church. It also can be, can be translated, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you, which is kind of interesting for him to say it that way. And so the, Paul starts with the word finally here. And, and the, the word finally here kind of serves two purposes. One, it shows us that there's a transition that has come, right? He's going from one topic. That it's all related, but he's kind of transitioning from one topic to another. And so it's a transition word to, to shift the focus. But it's also getting, getting Paul back to one of the main points of this letter, one of the main themes of this letter. And that, that theme is joy. I was just talking to somebody else. I was playing pickleball the other day. Don't roll your eyes, DJ. I was playing pickleball the other day, and one of the guys, we were sitting there, and guess what? We were sitting there talking about Jesus, if you can believe it, when we were waiting for the next game. And one of the guys, um, he asked about my church, like with six people listening, which is just really cool, right? Um, God can be glorified anywhere, amen? And he asked, he asked about where we are in church. I was like, we're going through the letter of Philippians. He's like, ah, rejoice, the letter of joy. I'm like, yeah, I like this guy, right? He, knew, he was actually, he just did a Bible study in his church on the letter because that's one of the main themes of the letter. Some people would say it is the main theme of the letter, rejoice, that we rejoice in God in all things, in the great things and in the hard things we rejoice. So Paul is going back to this theme of telling them to rejoice in chapter three. Now, he's about to walk through some really hard things. He's about to walk through some, some difficult things that, that we're going to, but he's also reminding them, despite all those really hard things, we rejoice, not only because we have been saved saved because we have Christ, but as we'll see at the end of the chapter, it's because our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, and in that we rejoice, and that we hold on to. So finally, in this passage, is really pointing to the theme that he's going to carry away all the way through the end of the letter. Rejoice despite all these things that are happening. And he's going to point out a bunch of different things, but I said, as I said today, the focus is persecution and false teaching. So through that verse, he says, finally, and then he says, to write these things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. So another way we could translate that, a way that would make a little bit more sense to us in the way we talk, he says, he says this, I can say what I'm about to say to you with no hesitation because of what I'm about to say is going to protect you. That's really what Paul means here. Because Paul is about to say some really bold, I would, I would go with, he's about to say some shocking things to them. But he's also saying, I'm not hesitating in saying those things. 
I don't hesitate in saying the things I'm about to say because it's for your protection. That word safe in that verse means to safeguard, to protect. I'm going to say these things because they protect you. And so what are the things that Paul wants to protect them from? Well, we've mentioned it, but look at verse 2. And he's going to reference these people, these things. Verse 2, chapter 3. You ready for this? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And to help us for context, I'm going to introduce verse 3. For we are the circumcision. One more time. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. Now to understand that verse and to really understand just how shocking that language is, we have to know what Paul is talking about. And we have to know who Paul is talking about because he just called somebody dogs and evildoers. The unfortunate thing for us is he doesn't tell us exactly who this is. So I can't tell you 100% for sure it's these people. But from the context of his other books, his other letters, and the problems in the other churches, we can get a really, really good educated guess. So I'm not saying this is 100% correct, but it's very likely that we're at least really, really close. And who he is talking about is some, these people that are sometimes called the Judaizers. They're sometimes called the Jewish party. Sometimes they're called the circumcision party. And we'll talk about that circumcision party here in a second. So, because we're going to dive more into this today as we go. But basically what they were doing is they were going around and telling new Christians or those who might follow Christ or those who were hearing the gospel that if they truly wanted to be saved, if they, they, if they truly wanted to be righteous for God, if they truly wanted to please God, then they needed to become Jews. And what that means, I don't think for the most part they're saying, oh, you can't have anything to do with Christ. They're saying, no, you need all of these things you need Jesus plus all these things. Now, some of them were absolutely trying to convince them that Christ was not Lord, but I don't know that some of them were, but what they were really saying is that you need to get circumcised. You need to follow all the customs, all the festivals, all the meals of the Jews, and that you need to follow the written and the oral law of the Jews. Now, the written law is the word of God, the Torah, but they also had an oral law that they thought matched really well with God's law. And in some cases, that was probably true. In a lot of cases, it just added a lot of burdens to people. But this is the things that they were telling all of the new Christians in Philippi that they needed to do. Now, hear that in context. We've been around as a church, us 10 years, but the church for 2,000 years. Can you imagine if you came from a culture radically different from any kind of religious culture that we would know, especially from the Jewish culture. You, find, you walk away from doing things like sleeping with cult, the cult, you know, whatever, at the temple, right? There's kids in the room, right? I want to be careful, but like, like really radically depraved things coming to follow Jesus Christ to then following Jesus Christ, and you have your strong teacher, Paul, but then he leaves, and then these really influential teachers come in. Because what, what we're seeing is, what seems to be the truth is these guys were persuasive, they were influential. They were somehow, and at least in their own minds, potential, potentially important. So can you imagine how hard it would have been for them for people to come in that, that speak well, that know Scripture really well, that know way more about their faith than they seemingly do and are telling them they have to do all these things to truly be saved, to truly be whole? Can you imagine how hard that would be? And so it, it seems that they were leading people away from Christ, and if not leading away from Christ, because the church is still healthy in a lot of ways, they were just causing a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion. Not to mention that there are many reports in other places in the New Testament that groups like these brought heavy persecution with them. And we don't even know what that persecution looks like exactly, but it was really painful, and it made people really struggle. So, Paul has some things to say about these Jewish teachers. Um, and I think the first thing we have to keep in mind is that Paul is a Jewish man. 
as he's about to say in our passage that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he is a Jew of Jews. If you want to know what a Jew is, you can look at me. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. So when Paul says these things about these Jewish leaders, he knows exactly what he's doing, just for clarity. So the first thing that, that Paul calls them are dogs. Like, oh, that's sweet, right? They're dogs. Um, I love my dog. Do you love your dog? Cat people, I don't want to talk about it, but I love my dog. Right? But some of you have lost your mind and you treat your dogs like children. They're not children. They're dogs. But, I mean, we can love them well. But, but understand this. This is not at all how it was in the ancient world. And in particular, dogs were seen as one of the lowest forms of life to the Jews. Did you know that? Because dogs are scavengers. We've domesticated them, but dogs are scavenger. Um, they, do you, I don't know if you know this. You've probably seen this if you had a dog. They'll eat anything. You see that? Including trash, including diapers. My dog ate diapers. It's disgusting. They'll eat dead bodies. They'll eat their own vomit. Is right? Hey, I'm sorry, but it's just true, right? My wife and Marilyn are like, stop, please stop. But that now this is why Jews thought they were so disgusting, because in a lot of ways, I love my dogs, but they are disgusting and and right? At least in that way. And then you put them out in wild and they're feral, it's a disaster, right? This is not just that, but this is the name that many Jews, especially judgmental Jews, used to describe Gentiles. Unclean, uncouth dogs. Gentile meaning not Jewish. Law-breaking dogs. So Paul flips this highly offensive word on the Jewish teachers themselves, which would have been super offensive. And I think it fits perfectly, for that's exactly what they're doing. They're doing what dogs do. You know, the Bible tells us that before we're saved, we are spiritually, Ephesians 2, we're spiritually what? Dead. These men are coming in, and they're feeding on the dead. They're feeding on the spiritually dead for their own pride, for their own glorification, for their own glory. And they're vomiting out all of this just trash on these people. And then they're eating up their own vomit and they're vomiting it out again for their own glory. And Paul's making it very clear, this is disgusting. He's making it very clear how much he hates this. Jesus describes false teachers in Israel. Now, when Jesus is referring to them, they're the, the Pharisees and the scribes, teachers of Israel, right? I don't know if this, this circumcision party includes Pharisees and scribes. I think it's probably likely that it does, at least in some cases, but we don't know. But like, listen how Jesus describes false teachers like these people that are telling people the wrong thing. In Matthew 23, 13, and 27, I'm going to read them to you, but if you want to write down the reference, you can. Matthew 23, verses 13 and 27, it says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Again, those are teachers of the law. Hypocrites. And I yelled those faces. For you neither enter